Well, this morning we are going to be in 1 Samuel. We are now in chapter 21. Over the last few weeks we've been following David. Remember we went from Samuel to Saul. Now the spotlight has been on David. Last week he met with his closest friend. A man that knit heart and heart and soul and soul together. And they had to separate. Because King Saul is doing everything he can. Burning every bridge, figuratively speaking, to kill his best and brightest servant, David. And David ran away, and then he, he tried to come back. He did everything he could. But now, there is no more going back. David literally has nothing as he's running night and day. I don't know if he had like a backpack, a rucksack. There's debate on if he had a couple guys with him or not, or if he was going to meet them off. But here we see him completely alone and without anything. And I, I can only imagine that as he's sneaking out, walking night and day, anyone ever had a, a flat tire or your cell phone is busted and you got to go and you got to walk to go get something? And just all you're doing, you're just thinking. You're just thinking it's amazing what comes across your mind as you're, as you're alone out there. I could just see David just thinking, thinking, thinking. Thinking about when he was a, a young man. The prophet came to his house and anointed him with oil and said that you've been chosen by God to be king. And here he is with nothing. Thinking about standing before Goliath in the name of the Lord and having him slain by the grace of God. Bringing... It's a little gory. If you don't like gore, I'm sorry. But bringing the head of Goliath to King Saul and how proud King Saul must have been in that moment. To th- I, as, I just see him walking, torn up, tearful, thinking about all the Philistines that he defeated in battle. Being the conquering hero, the captain of a thousand, coming back into his town with his people, his tribe, and hearing them sing the song, Saul has slain his thousand, but David his tens of thousands. Now he's running from all of that. Everyone has turned their back on him. Everything has gone wrong. All the accolades, all the riches, all the honor, all the rank, all the stripes on his shoulder, they're gone. He's got nothing. And that's where we pick up with David here in verses 1 through 3. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to search in such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. The word knob means hill, and it's a city of priests, and these priests are gathered there together. It's it's north of Jerusalem. It's on its way to Philistine territory, the, the border town. And this weird thing happens because Ahimelech is there. He's looking, and, the, and the, the scouts are looking out and saying, well, who's that guy coming? And then they see that it's David. 
King Saul's son-in-law, a captain of a thousand, and he has no entourage. Something is not right. Ahimelech knows it right off the bat. He talks to David. Hey, what's the deal, man? What's going on? Something's wrong. David flat out lies. Straight lies. Oh, I'm on a secret scouting mission for the king. Okay, that's kind of weird. Yeah, you know what? And also, we had to run so fast I forgot all my stuff, including my weapon and my food. That makes no sense. Okay, that sounds weird. Again, you know, just as we were building the background, all these accolades, David is known for so much. Now, he is in such dire straits that he is literally lying and begging for bread. He's literally lying and begging for bread. This man that was sitting at the king's table had the very best of the best is now begging for food. Some of us may be in this position this morning. You may be looking back and thinking, man, I used to have it so good. I used to have this, and I used to do this, and I ran this business, or I was this rank in the military. And But things change. We find ourselves looking back, seeing how things were. I used to work for the Air Force. I was just a, I was a contractor. I was working for the military. I was not in the military. But we used to have a PT time set aside. And in this PT time, we would usually uh, play basketball. And we would play basketball on this court in the base. And, uh, oh, man, we went at it. It was like war. But there was always this guy, this weird old man, that was always in the corner of this basketball court. And he was practicing his ballroom dancing. And this guy used to annoy us so much because he'd be right on the line. And, man, you got guys, we're burling at each other and we're knocking each other over. And there's practical, I mean, sometimes there's bloodshed, heated discussions. And the ball comes. And he would hit him once in a while. And he'd look at us like he was going to tear us up. And he'd just say, hey, sorry, man, sorry. And we'd just be so annoyed. Well, one day we were leaving the basketball court. We we were kind of talking. Somebody overheard us talking about him. He said, you know who that is? Some crazy old man over there. He used to be the colonel commander of this base, but he's retired now. He says, I, I don't know how it is in the other branches, but when you are the commander of a base in the Air Force, you have complete and utter authority. You can pull over a person and write them a speeding ticket. You can kick anyone off that base, and they're never allowed to return. So if you work for them, and, and he decided you're not allowed on his base anymore, you're fired. Absolute authority. But now he's retired. He doesn't have the rank. Now he's just some old guy getting in the way of a basketball game. But several years before, he could have shut that whole facility down with a snap of a finger. How he had been humbled, how things have changed. You know, we have such an illusion sometimes of where we're at. But unfortunately, we can have the reverse. See, when we're in positions of authority, we can really think that this is always going to be this way. I'm always going to be this important. But when we've hit the bottom, when we've lost everything, we sometimes think that we're not that same person anymore, that we've lost something, that we'll never get it back, that somehow we're of less value. 
And that's David. The city of the priest, he, he's begging for bread. He's got nothing. But what does he have that can never be touched, that can never be hurt, that can never... God is on his side. And God is moving in David's life. And God has anointed David, and he will be king. David doesn't know all that. We want to be servants of God. We want to follow him. We want to be his disciples. You see, the disciples, when they were with Jesus, argued among themselves who was going to be first, who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, who was going to be the commander of the base. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, as he sat down, called the twelve and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all of all. A.W. Tozer, a famous pastor, also said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. I think of Joseph, who was thrown down a well by his own brothers, then arrested, sold as a slave and imprisoned. And God was moving in him and working in him until he became second unto Pharaoh and God used him to save the nation of Israel. I think of Moses, who was the king's son, the Pharaoh's son. And then he ran for his life and for 40 years in the desert, he was a Bedouin herder. But he was being prepared by God. I think of Saul of Tarsus, who was, I believe, a member of the Sanhedrin, high in authority, was blinded before Jesus Christ, and then had to hide in the the deserts of Arabia for three years as God prepared him and set him aside for a great work. Here we have King David begging for bread. You may be begging for bread this morning spiritually, many, maybe monetarily you've been begging, and you're thinking, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why have you taken all these things from me? Let's continue with, with David, and, and let's see what happens, what he does in verse four, 4. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessel of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. And so the priest gave him holy bread. For there was no bread but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. You know, to understand what's going on here, we have to understand the the background, the context of what this bread is. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 24, Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons that they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statue. And you're saying, what in the world is he talking about? This bread is cooked every Saturday, every Sabbath day, and it's placed fresh on a table before the Lord. And every week, just as it's about to go stale, they put fresh bread before the Lord. So they have continual, fresh-smelling bread 
before the Lord as an offering. No one can touch it. But after the week is over, only the priests, only the priests and only if they've been sanctified and only in a holy place, they can eat the bread or they can throw it away. Now, they're having this discussion and Ahimelech says, there's only the showbread. It's about to come off the table, but you're not priests. But, I mean, have you at least, you know, kept the boys clean? And David, he's just straight out lying. Maybe he did have guys that were out there. But I don't think so. I, I just think that he's by himself. I think he's just straight lying. So, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, we're, you know, we're as clean as can be. We haven't even had, we haven't even, uh, you know, touched any. There, no women have come with us, so there's no food at all. You know, that means we also haven't had any relations. We're, we're holy. We're clean. I just, I just need some bread. I, I think he's serious about the three days. I think he hasn't eaten in three days. Whatever food he had in his pockets and ate is gone. And he's been walking. You know, when you work out, you go for a long walk. Maybe you go for a hike with a family, and you're just starving by the time you get back. Man, I need a double cheeseburger. Or, you know, for anybody's vegetarian, you know, I need a tofu burger or something. It just doesn't even sound right. But you're, you're just craving. You've been working hard. Now, David's been hiking for three days, running for his life. Man, he is starving. Man, just give me your bread. I just need that bread. I just need that bread. You know, later on in the New Testament, Jesus is going to be walking with his disciples on the Sabbath day in a grain field. And he, they're taking the heads of the grain, they're mashing them up in their hands, and they're eating it just because they're hungry. And the Pharisees come to him and say, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're against God. But Jesus would tell them in Matthew chapter 12 about a story. He said unto them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those that were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. There's a, a higher law, the grace of God, that they're not breaking the commandment. Now, Jesus doesn't comment on whether the law is being broken or not. He simply says, this is a hero of the faith. He's, he's eating, they're preserving his life. You don't say anything negative about that. Why would you say anything negative about what I'm doing here? I think that's just such an interesting comment. We're going to see in the next chapter that the priest went before the Lord and asked him if he was to give David the food or not. I find that also fascinating. Jesus would go on to quote there in Matthew chapter 12 that the Lord requires mercy and not sacrifice. You know what is more amazing to me is that this table that is before the Lord is, is a beautiful picture for each and every one of us. When we're begging spiritually for bread, when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, kind of like when I was this morning coming into the, the fellowship today, the Lord feeds you from His own table. This is His offering. Jesus is the bread of life. He says, come and eat of me. And, and that bread comes off the table and it's given to David. And the Lord is providing for you bread, his bread. He is the author and the finisher of our, of, our, of our faith. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. In him are all things and all things consist through Jesus Christ. And yet he gives himself freely to you. 
You know, we think we're important when we're the captain of a thousand. We think that we're special when we have the authority and the privilege until you're an, an old man in a, in a gym and basketballs are being thrown at you and you're thinking to yourself, I used to own this place. Humbled. But the only thing that can never change, the only thing that can never falter or fail is God and your relationship with Him. David is utterly humiliated and humbled. And he thinks he has lost everything. Really, though, he's being stripped of all the illusions in his life. If you have walked with the Lord for any amount of time as a disciple, you've dedicated your life, you follow him, he will strip you of the things that you think are comforting. Just like when I take my, my little daughter's blankie, it's her comfort blankie. And man, if I don't give her that blankie, she screams bloody murder. But I have to teach her that that's just an object. You know, time to get rid of that thing. You're getting older. You know, my son, he had a blankie. And soon, very soon, because he's grown so fast, he just outgrew it. It used to be you could wrap him up in it. And then it was you could cover him up with it. And then it was, it just covered his chest. And then it was like a napkin to him. As you grow spiritually, the things that you cling on to now, whether it's money or a relationship or your health or a church, you spiritually outgrow it. And the Lord strips it from you and just reveals it. He takes the blinders off like, really, this isn't as important as I thought. I'll give you an example. There are, there are people today that are not growing in their relationship with the Lord because they're clinging on to friends in the world that are hindering them. Ah, oh, you know, the church thing. That's, you know, that's good for Sundays, but let's go. And, and it's a comfort. It's a comfort blankie to them. And they don't want to trust the Lord. But if you trust the Lord and you walk with him, he'll strip it. He'll reveal it. He'll show you. that Your authority, your ranking, your position, it's an illusion. Only your relationship with God is eternal in the heavens and cannot be touched. And again, when you go to the Lord, He provides for you. We're going to touch on that a little bit more, but let's continue here in the story. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind that ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Now, this guy Doeg, he's an important character, especially in the next few chapters. He's Saul's uh, herdsman, which is a big position of authority in the ancient world. So if your herds, your flocks, that was your wealth. So this man is the practically the banker for Saul. He must have, uh, this is a very important 
position. So why is he here at this school of the priests? There's a lot of debate. Either he's a proselyte, meaning he's, because he's an Edomite, he's becoming a Jew, or he made an oath, and he needs to complete his sanctification for that oath, or he confessed some kind of sin and has to make an offering there. But nevertheless, he's there by himself, and he's a spy for Saul. He's listening to David talk, and he's saying here, you forgot your weapon. You're a military man, and you forgot your weapon. You forget your own hands before you forget a weapon if you're in the military. That's just, that is the biggest no-no ever. And Doeg, I could just see him like creeping, looking through the crowd like, really? We're going to talk. Somebody's going to find out about this. Here we have David. Got no weapons, got no food. He's got a couple loaves of bread, fresh off the Lord's table. And now he has this sword from Goliath. Now, what, what's the story with the sword? The Bible says when David took the sword into, into the tent, that, that word there, tent, means like the tabernacle, the holy place. David dedicated that sword to God and gave it to God. That's God's sword. Because David realized and knew that God had delivered Goliath into his hands. It was not David. God, he had given it as a free will offering to him. And now again, God is equipping David out of his stuff. God has provided David bread, and he has div- provided David a weapon. You know, when we give uh, offerings and tithes, that's not a God tax. That's not God stripping from us because, man, if we don't pay the God tax, the whole um, kingdom of Christianity is going to completely collapse. That's a free will offering. And God is a debtor to no man. He, He doesn't sit there and say, oh, you owe me. He gave you his son. Anything is just ridiculous if you think you're touching that. That he descended from down on high to us, to give himself for us. And I think, oh man, I got to pay my God tax. If I don't pay my God tax, the pastor ain't going to get paid and I'm going to feel bad. This has nothing to do with me or this ministry. It has everything to do with your heart for God. And God, as he's working in your life and he's showing you, hey, the money in your pocket is not as important as your relationship with me is what he's telling you. He continues to bless you and to prosper you. Obviously, Obviously, it's not always financially. If you ever hear someone say that God's going to give you tenfold for your offering, you keep that money and you put it in your pocket because that's not biblical. That's a lie. Because here you have David begging for bread. And he's a man after God's own heart. But God gives him what he needs. God gives him exactly what he needs. And he protects him. And he prospers him. And he's using him. And now God is giving back that which David has given to him. The sword of Goliath. Almost as if to say, David, you've chosen to follow me. I know you've lost a lot, but I'm equipping you. I am making you the man that I want you to be. And greater things are in store for you, but you have to trust me. And just so, just to remind you, you trusted me with Goliath. Why can you not trust me in your humiliation? Why can you not trust me in your poverty? And the sword is given to him. He unwraps it. He looks at it. He takes it. Humility is a tough lesson, just like patience. Patience. 
those are the hard lessons of the disciple. In Micah 6, 8, the prophet says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? David is walking humbly with the Lord. He's been stripped. Now, David, he's just trying to save his own skin. He came into this lying, like God doesn't know what's really going on. Yeah, I need some bread. I, I forgot it. I'm a scout for Saul. No, you're not. And let me tell you something that's even more sad and depressing. Because of David's life, every priest he's talking to right now is going to be killed. They're all going to die because David has sinned by lying. He's caused them all to be traitors against Saul and the kingdom, and they will be eliminated as traitors. And in the meantime, even though David is failing, just trying to survive, just trying to scrape for bread, just trying to get by, God is protecting him and providing for him and prospering him, even though his sin is causing, is going to cause destruction. So humbling to know that the grace of God that has been bestowed on us sinners, those of us that we don't give everything to God, we're not fully dedicated to Him our heart is deceitfully wicked who can know Him and yet He's covered us with His grace, He's fed us from His table, He's equipped us with His word, He prospers us He leads us, He's discipling us and using us if we would only walk humbly before Him And realize that when we are stripped, when we lose everything, He's equipping you. He's disciplining you. He's going to prosper you. Because remember our quote before? Only when God has truly hurt a man or woman can He really use a man. Only when we've really been humbled can we really truly be prospered. Now we're going to read an even sadder testimony as David runs from the priest school in verses 10 through 15. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul, went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Ah, look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Wow, David, man, what are you thinking? He goes to his enemies. He thinks he's safer with his enemies, with the world. And he he goes to this town, and he's just like, I guess I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of my enemies because my own master, my own king is trying to kill me. And he goes, shows up, and they're they're like, what would you do if the assassin of your best troops shows up at the gate, kills your friends? It's like, what? This is David. This is King David. So David... He fakes like he's insane. David has humiliated himself. Listen, when he went to the Lord, he was fed, he was equipped, and the Lord was 
protecting him and using him. When you go to the world thinking you'll get the same treatment, that you'll find safety in the world, your old friends, your old habits, your own comforts, your old sins, it will humiliate you and it will not be for your benefit. And here is David, the captain of a thousand, drooling down his beard, banging and scratching on the door, faking like he's insane. It is insane to go to the world when you have the true and living God to guide you and to direct you. And you may think that he's punishing you. And you may think that he's taken everything away from you. When really it's for your benefit and he's using you and he's removing the lies and the illusions that those, those blankies, those comfort blankies in our life where we think, oh, I need it so bad. And you go back to the world to try and find it and realize that the world wants nothing but to destroy you, to take everything you own, to destroy your relationships, to puff you up with false lies, to think that you're winning, to think that you're in control, when really, given enough time, it will turn on you. It will turn on you. I was, my son asked me on the way to church, it was, it was really weird. He said, Dad, if I keep an alligator... And, and we're real nice to it, and we feed this alligator. Do you think it will be nice to us? I said, son, that's not how alligators work. And it doesn't matter. You can pretend that it's a pet, and it'll be nice to you for a little while, but eventually it'll, it'll bite you and eat you. He goes, well, what about lions? They're like cats. I love cats. My son loves cats. I don't know what's wrong with them. Sorry, you cat lovers out there. Because it's just a big kitty cat. I said, yeah, but we have a sin nature. And so I'm explaining to him. I said, listen, I'll tell you a story. There was these two guys... Real story, son. They had these cats, these lions, that they were their pets, and they made them do tricks, and they, they were on TV together, and they took pictures. And after 20 years, all in a sudden, one of these lions snapped and ate him. He looked at me like, what? Listen, I'm telling you, the Lord just gave this analogy right as we were driving to the, the, the church this morning. When we go to the world, and we go to our old friends, and we go to our old place, and we say, oh, nice kitten. Oh, you're a big cat. Oh, your friends, you're so nice to me. Oh, my career, I got a promotion. I'll skip out on church. It's, it, I got more money for my family. I'll, I'll tithe more. I'll pay off the Lord. And then all of a sudden, when you least expect it, it devours you. And it bites you. And you cry out to the Lord, Lord, what happened? David, man, what are you doing? Scratching the gates of your enemy. But David would write about this. In Psalm 34, Psalm 34, let's all turn there. It's to the right in your Bible. Ever want to find the book of Psalms? You close your Bible, open it straight down the middle, you usually find it. Psalm or Proverbs, usually in there. Psalm 34, let's let Scripture explain Scripture. The intro to Psalm 34, a Psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall, be, shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Who doesn't want that? You, know, you go before the Lord. And truly, David was in his fear, 
and he was scared, and he had nothing, and the Lord provided for him. He heard his cry. It continues in verse 7, The angels of the Lord encamp all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You know, when you're really hungry, everything tastes good. And so I've been super hungry sometimes, and I'll go to a fast food place, and I'll be like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. But then you go meet your friend there another thing after you had like a little snack, and you're like, oh, this is disgusting. I can only imagine how good the bread of the Lord, the offering bread, tasted to David after three days. This whole, this, and he says, I can, I, and so I think that David remembers this taste as he said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says in verse 11, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Listen to verse 13 here. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. David knew he was lying. He says, just don't do that. Depart from it. David had lied. But in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears, delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. That contrite means broken or humble spirit. Verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servant, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. He noticed the confession, his realization of God and how God was in control. He, he writes this after the fact, looking back on it. We look back in our trials or in areas that we've been stripped or areas that we've been humbled or humiliated by the world, and we say, Lord, I thank you so much for what you taught me, and I don't wish this experience on even my enemies. It's so tough. And you see that. But David is continually reminding us all, seek the Lord and trust in him. He will provide. He blesses, encourages, and delivers us all. David has been begging for bread. He's tried to lie his way out of his own survival. He even goes to his enemy and fakes madness. He's tested the world and been rejected. And he says, only in the Lord, only in the Lord will you find the truth that you seek, the comfort that you're, you want to find, the security. It's not found in our worldly blankies, cars, careers, relationships outside of the relationship of the Lord. It's only found in God. And, and the Lord has equipped each and every one of us with the bread of life.
Jesus Christ, he gave himself. He's given us the sword of the Lord, which is the word of God, a double-edged sword that cuts to the bone, to the marrow, reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We know that Jesus is the word. Jesus has provided himself for each and every one of us on our journey. And as the Lord has stripped away all that other stuff, David is left with nothing but him, a dark path, and the cries to the Lord. He has everything in God. If you've been embarrassed here this morning, uh, you know maybe today's the day you've been begging for bread. I mean, you looked at your paycheck, you looked at your grocery bills, you looked at your kids, and you're just, you're broken. And you're thinking, maybe I'll go to the world. You know, maybe I'll go back there. It's just going to, you got to go out there and fight. You do. You got to go out there and work. You do. But if your hope is in anything but the Lord, you will be disappointed. And rejoice if you find yourself in this position this morning because everything has been illuminated to you. You see the truth. And it hurts. But now that you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we want to trust you, grow in you, Lord, be used by you. You've revealed so much to us in our lives, Lord. It doesn't take very long. The world turning on us, turning on David. But we know that you're using all things for the good for those that love you. We trust your promises. We trust in your word. We trust in your grace and your mercy. Help us, Lord, to deny ourselves and pick up our cross, knowing that we will betray you at any moment without your grace, without your spirit moving in us through your word. Pray that you would continue to equip us and continue to prosper us, Lord. Knowing that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, Father. Help us to stand fast and to lean on you through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.